Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform, subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. They will dictate everything. They can dictate what the ticket price is. They can dictate that you have to pay a merchandise fee, which is the biggest ripoff to a band ever. And this is just something, if that happens everywhere, it's going to be a monopoly. You do a tour and then you just play all these venues and you'll have to play by their rules. And if the artist does not, then they will just not tour anymore. And that will eventually kill off the organic growth of a scene or any scene, basically. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. This week I'm sharing a panel discussion I moderated on December 3rd at Viva Sounds, a conference and live music showcase that takes place annually in Gothenburg, Sweden, and is hosted by Westside Music. This panel, titled I Will Survive, looks at the live music sector from a booking agent's perspective. We venture beyond the headlines that dominated mainstream and trade media that generally portrayed a triumphant return of live music and into what types of challenges booking agents are facing while the industry collectively attempts to find its footing after pandemic closures. While this conversation is a snapshot in time, I think it's extremely relevant not only now, but to be able to look back on when we try to understand music business challenges more broadly. I've provided information on each of the panelists and conference in the episode notes. Let's dive and get heavy. I was going to say uh, good morning, but it's actually afternoon now. My name is Lexi Front, and I'm moderating this panel called I Will Survive. And we're going to really touch on a number of uh, topics regarding that agents and promoters face. I'm joined on stage by Merle During from Hamburg, and she runs Black Harbor Entertainment. I'm also joined by Daniel Johansson from Jaltiborgs Kulturkolas and Matthias Albinson from Headstomp in Stockholm. We all know venues opened and shows were booked, rebooked, re-rebooked. Venues held full-size capacity shows. Concert calendars were just full of shows. Nightliners, sprinter vans, family sedans, whatever inventory was left of vehicles. Everyone fired them up for the first time since 2019 or in the best case scenario, end of 2021. Tour managers, technicians, stagehands, talent buyers, agents, crews, and all sorts of crucial players in the live music industry got busy again, rebuilding the muscle memories. And also a new generation of people seeking to cut their teeth in these very crafts also emerged. Sounds perfect, right? Didn't all go to plan, I think or if there really was a plan. Right now, we're gonna kind of look at things as they are, as far as things that agents and promoters face. And we're gonna look at ticket sales, rising costs of everything, all direct costs. And we're also gonna try to pull out some interesting tidbits of how people are working together, what new things we're seeing as far as ticket sales trends, and also how we're forming relationships with each other and working together. Let's first begin with some introductions. So Daniel, tell us a little bit about how you ended up at Jaltiborg's Kulturkolas. Well, I've been working within this business since 2006. I started off uh, at something called Peko Musik. I think most people in Gothenburg are familiar with this company. They're not around anymore. Uh, they went bankrupt a couple of years ago, I think. Was there for five years as a production manager and then went off as uh, a partner and um production manager and promoter all in one for something called Neues Kulturbolaget here in Gothenburg. Same company, well, as a part of the same company as Neues Kulturbolaget in Malmö. Very, very, well, one of the most classical live scenes in Sweden, I would say. Uh, was there for seven years. Uh, then I got an offer or a question from uh, from um, the city of Gothenburg if I would like to to come over as a promoter and a booker for Göteborgs Kulturkalas then, 2018. And I've been there since then, uh, working with that festival, but also with the city's uh, 400th jubilee, which will take place next year, two years later than expected. So, uh, Matthias, tell us a little bit about how you ended up at Headstomp and more on the agent side. Yeah, uh, started as an intern at Headstomp 
2004, and then they hired me. So I went straight from uh, having my own label and bands uh, and a small small company and just studying, and then went into Headstomp and have not done anything else in the industry but that. But working as an agent, uh, Headstomp is uh, mainly a booking agency. We also have some management and label management. My job is mainly bookings. And the scope of talent as far as who's represented is this uh, Swedish European artists is there a particular it's, focus it's uh, mostly Swedish some Nordic um, and we mainly represent them worldwide uh, we do some foreign bands uh, like local promoter in Sweden as well but it's it's just a couple so mostly Swedish talent that we try to get out. And Merling, your focus is really global, as I understand. I mean, you're working with groups representing their interests in booking shows all over the world. How did you kind of come to taking that type of approach to looking at things in a much bigger sense? Um, I think that was basically by accident. <laughs> um, I started also as an intern at a booking agency um, that was already working kind of globally. But then um, I found myself just getting involved with the bands um, more on a, you know, if you if you do a good job somewhere, they will eventually ask you if you can also, you know, take that somewhere else. So I think it just grew from there. And I found myself really enjoying being a part of the career to the point of where a band goes. We're, really, we're releasing a new album then and then what's our plan live and then I go okay we're doing the US at that point we're doing Asia at that point we're going to Australia then we let, let's revisit Europe then and you know I, I just really found myself enjoying it and built great some great partnerships all over the world through that it kind of sounds like you're like water in a way you find all these different sorts of gaps in what the artists need because every artist does have different needs and they have strengths as far as their business network but also it kind of sounds like you're interested in the accident point that you made it sounds quite appropriate that you're finding all of these needs that artists have and just uh, plugging them in some way. Uh, yeah, I, th I think that's probably a good way to look at it. Um, I just found myself, like after, throughout these years, I realized that there are some people that I work really well with and that I enjoy working with. And um, if you find those people, then why not extend the relationship with them rather than staying in the box that you're in and adding people to it? So why not just extend that and try to find, you know, try to, to help them to grow out of the box that they're in, audience-wise maybe, or, or touring-wise. So I just, yeah, I just... By accident, it just happened. <laughs> I think the big question to start with is ticket sales in terms of, first of all, are we seeing the same levels of ticket sales that we saw in 2019? Merle, do you want to continue? Sure. I think it depends on what level of artists you're looking at. If you look at the mega artists, then yeah, probably. Um, but if you look at the mid-tier and smaller sized artists, then definitely not. Um, my experience has been so far now that everything... It's lower ticket sales and it happens a lot later. It's, it's much more, or it feels much more risky at this point. Um, and I think everybody has seen it also in the last few months. A lot of bands have canceled their shows, have canceled their tours because the promoters get cold feet and also the bands get cold feet because there's a higher risk involved because the pre-sales are really low for a long, long time. And then you just really have to like sit with it and go, yeah, I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to go out. I'm going to risk the money. And also the promoters have to be, on your side and say we're going to stick with it we believe in it and then i mean either either it turns out good or not my experience so far has been that the people will come like we had i just have a tour going on at the moment where ticket sales have been on some of the territories some of the shows have been it's it's been a catastrophe basically promoters have wanted to cancel or i have been like oh, okay maybe we should pull that show um and then in the end, uh, like one, one show, for example, for months, we had 21 tickets sold. This is an artist that sold 800 tickets pre-pandemic. So we had 21 tickets and the promoter was like, no, 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 it's fine. We're going to be fine. I'm like, are you sure? And then on the day of the show, they gave me an hourly update and the tickets increased and increased and increased. And we ended up having 300, 350 tickets um, for the show, which is obviously in comparison to pre-pandemic, not great, but I mean it's not a reason to pull a show either. So it, it, everything just happens a lot later and it's it's a lot more risky nowadays. And so, Matthias, are you seeing a similar phenomena in terms of a variety of different responses that promoters are having to these new sort of phenomena that are occurring in terms of lower pre-sales for shows that may have sold much more in the past? Um, yeah, but I, I agree on, on the, the, the image you have on, on how it looks and... For us, we haven't done that much European touring uh, this year. So my experience comes mostly from Swedish numbers. 
but it's pretty much the same. It feels like big artists um, sell well, and we mostly work with mid-size and smaller ones, so, so it affected us a lot. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's like selling 50% of the, um, of the tickets you normally sell. And the, the, it's hard to... Uh, there's so many times the, this last year when I'm talking to uh, promoters after uh, saying like, yeah, sad, it didn't fly as we expected. And I, I've, <laughs> I've sent those emails so many times. But it's, it's, uh, it still feels good in the sense that we, um, we're all in the same boat. Promoters understand that we didn't uh, put that fee to hurt them. <laughs> it's just that it's, we're all in these new times together. So, so I think it's a good, good atmosphere in, in, in one way, but I think that might be changing. It, it gets more rough, and uh, I think we're going to have more difficulties in uh, negotiating fees. And um, also, it's been happening a few times this autumn that, well, promoters might uh, add costs that we didn't talk about and just trying to, because everybody's struggling, so just find these small small things you can do to, to survive. So, so I think it, it might get a little bit tougher, and especially since there are no um, corona support coming. There are more money to, to, um, to seek, like find fundings for venues than, than maybe before, but it's no sort of direct corona support anymore. So um, that's also going to put us in a new place, I think. Daniel, as far as ticket sales or the sort of bigger picture that you're seeing in Sweden, how are people sort of returning to live music? To be honest, I don't know if I'm the right person to answer that because we don't sell any tickets to our festival. <laughs> but <laughs> when I see it from outside, I can only agree with uh, Matthias and, and Merle. It's, uh, my look at it is that uh, the, the middle-sized band are, are struggling very much. And uh, that's the thing I hear when I speak to different venue, venues. I mean, we, we collaborate with a lot of different venues as, as, uh, as a festival and, and uh, they are having a hard time, all of them. But I mean, at the same time, the big arena shows, no problems. So as far as these sorts of conversations that you have, they also used to have the conversations with managers and talent as well, but let's sort of start with the representation side of it. How do you sort of manage those conversations with an artist and their representation as the person that's facilitating the show in some way? How do you sort of tell them, hey, I don't think this is going to pan out the way that you thought in 2019 to sort of ground the expectations, or how do you sort of approach it when it comes to, hey, I don't know if that new cost that didn't exist before, which you sort of alluded to, Matthias, how do you sort of have those sorts of tougher conversations? We mostly have uh, artists that uh, don't have uh, managers, because they're yeah, smaller ones. Uh, so I, I haven't been uh, in that many discussions with manager about this. But uh, uh, to the few that, that have managers, I think it's, it's been fairly reasonable. Um, and I think maybe it's, um, I always try to be honest with artists uh, about expectations always. So having that from before made it easier to talk about uh, these times, I think. Because it's, um, it's better to, to have the discussion before you go on tour instead of just saying, it's going to work out, I, I maybe a bit pessimistic, but... <laughs> It's always easier to, to start on a lower level with expectations and then hopefully uh, it get better than that. Um, so, but that, that has also made some artists decide that, okay, then we're not going to go to Europe this year. Uh, maybe that was a wrong mistake, but it feels safer for me to, to not go and, and um, promise something I can't keep. And Merle, do you work to sort of set new expectations with the talent as far as what they should expect when they're going out or when you're talking about what the ask is going to be from the venue? Uh, yeah, I think you have to have these conversations like painfully bluntly with the people because in the end they're going to blame you and um, a lot of times... I mean, we're, like you said, facilitators, so it's not really our own money that we're gambling with. Um, so I have to obviously keep in mind whose money am I risking here? And um, these are people who are investing a lot of time and, and you know, like they go, they, they leave their families, they leave their lives, they probably 
possibly leave their day jobs. I work with a lot of smaller acts where the, the people actually have to take vacation or they have to take an unpaid leave. So I cannot gamble with that. I have to be bluntly honest with them about the expectations. And a lot of the shows, like you said in the beginning, they're rescheduled and rescheduled and rescheduled from like 2019 sometimes. And I think it's it's also a way of, of finding out um, how the longevity of the relationship of your relationship with the artist is, but also the longevity of their career. Because I have just made the experience that when you talk with artists that do not understand that, um, then there's no point in continuing to work with them because it's going to be tough for many years to come. And if the artist does not understand that we also have to kind of we, we have to take every aspect and every factor and every player in the industry into account. It doesn't help me if I squeeze my promoter for the deal that I made with him in 2019 on a ticket price that is not realistic anymore in terms of costs what they are, that there are nowadays. If I squeeze him for that fee nowadays and he loses money, next time I come around, he might not be there. And what are we going to do if the infrastructure collapses in some of the countries? You know, then the touring is not like your touring circle gets smaller and smaller. And I think the, the great thing, well, the great thing about this is it's not a, I don't know, it's not a Sweden exclusive issue or it's not in Germany, you know, it's, it's not like you have to make a Swedish artist understand oh yeah, the costs in Germany have risen. The costs have risen everywhere. If you do not understand that, you've been living under a rock. And if you choose not to understand that, then I am not interested in working with you, quite frankly, because in the next few years, it's all it's going to be about being realistic and trying to find a middle ground that works for everyone so that everyone can survive because it's really not about, you know, it doesn't help me if I will survive if there's no promoters anymore, if there's no bus companies anymore, or if there's no bands anymore. That, you know, what am I going to do then? Uh, and I really uh, agree agree on finding a solution for, for everyone to work together. But the problem I see in the past is that with um, companies of different sizes think differently about these things. And um, we have a lot of, of like major companies in the live industry in Sweden who sort of um, destroyed festivals, destroyed venues just by doing that, like pushing them for more and more money every time until they disappear and just hope someone else will start a new venue. So the problem I see is it's easy for us, a small company, to have, we have our, our promoters we work with a lot and we have uh, uh, good conversations and honest conversations and we sometimes risk together to make it happen but I see uh, bigger companies not dealing in the same way which will make those venues disappear anyway so we just have to do it all together and I don't see how that's going to happen because uh, it's yeah well it's a capitalistic world and uh, people run for money Sure, but I think then it's up to the venues and the promoters to choose, okay, I'm not going to work with this big company. I'm not going to, you know, take their artist on. Even though it might probably be a big payday, it is also a bigger risk. But instead of doing this one big show with this major company that doesn't really give a shit whether I'm the one who's going to be around next year or someone else in my place, they have to then choose. I mean, it's, a, you know, everybody has to work together. That is not my choice. I support my promoters and... I try to find a way to make it happen so that everyone I have a standing relationship with for now, I don't know, a decade or more at times, um, that they will survive. If they choose to work with a company that does not have the same outlook on sustainability, then that's something that I cannot, you know, I, I can't help them with that. But rather than, I think the, the point is that rather than choosing these like shiny, you know, options that seem re like a, might be a quick payday over I don't know instead doing three shows that might not be doing that well but that are more sustainable but that is something that that sector of the industry has to become clear of and it is very much in my interest obviously to keep the independent promoters alive because it doesn't really help me if, the, if they go away. It's also an outlook on, will I have a job in a few years? Because if the independent promoters go away, big companies like Live Nation or whatever are going to swoop in. They're going to buy the venues. And eventually, I mean, it's, it's already a very big reality in the US. Like th They can offer a tour. They don't need an agent. Live Nation can just go and they just offer a tour. Um, so if that happens in Europe and they buy the festivals and, and whatever because the smaller promoters go out of business, then... I will, I'm redundant. They don't need me. So it's in my interest to support my promoters. What they choose to do, that's a different story. Like I can help them yeah. with that. And I think it's hard, at least in Sweden, to be a promoter or have a venue and not work with the bigger companies. You won't have a program. 
because it's it's they're they're so do dominating the the business. So I think it's hard for a venue to choose not to work with big companies. But what if they? If, I mean, I don't know if there's some sort of union or something. But you know, it's it's all about like sticking together. So if the if if all of the independent venues say like, hey, we're not working with you, then what are the big companies going to do? I would love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> I must say something from a promoter pr perspective. Uh, I'm talking about expectation, I mean, uh, I, I have a lot of discussions with you, for example, every year, and I can assure you all that Matthias is one of the good guys. But uh, I mean, it's 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 quite common that uh, that the agent thinks the artist has a wider range than it actually has. Uh, and my job in that case is to make the, the, the agent happy in one way, of course, and at the same time take the right decision for the festival I'm working with, uh, just to make sure we are not doing any underplays or overplays. And, and, uh, so it can be a, a quite uh, a challenging thing to be, to be a nice guy to, to, to the big companies, which I really have to work with. I can't see it in, in in another way, to be honest. Do you consider leverage in any way as a way of building relationships with venues in terms of helping them mitigate risk in some way? Uh, yeah, and I think that's something we we done uh, since the start, actually, because um, we realized uh, working uh, with smaller acts, we have had to take risks together with a venue or a promoter to just make shows happen. So for us, it's not something we do different now. We, maybe it's more, even more reasonable to do it now, which, which is a problem for, uh, it feels like some of the bigger companies maybe push for higher guarantees and don't do door deals or whatever. Uh, and then we have to step in and do a different kind of deals for our smaller artists. So in that way, we sort of support the bigger companies so they can get their fees. And, and for just going through the corona, it, it hasn't really changed. We still do that. Of course, we would like to have a, a good guarantee for our artists to, to deliver what they need as a security. Uh, to be able to go on tour, but um, from uh, from different artists, we we have to do different setups to to make it happen. I think that's going to continue. Merle, do you also consider leverage in some way, or are you offering different sorts of opportunities to incentivize your promoter partners? If you take a risk on XYZ package, I'll give you this other opportunity, or is it very delicate because there's so many other promoters and parties to please based on historical relationships? Um, I, I don't really... It's not something that I... I actually talk about like that because I think um, like with the promoters because I think most like I'm fortunate enough to have um, enough my, my relationships with the promoters are long-standing enough and also um, good enough that they know this so I know exactly I usually in like if I if I look at Germany um, a lot of times I work with the with the same people or basically every time I work with the same people in the same cities and I know exactly if if that person or and they also know if they take on my newcomer and take a risk on that maybe um, they will also get my bigger artist when it comes around but that has more to do with um, that I look at I don't look at like who gives me the biggest guarantee because I think. I mean, of course, you need guarantees to to kind of also keep the artist and and the management, you know, keep the risk away from them a little bit. But in the end of the day, it's about like if you want someone to risk that money, you know, if I if I have artists that go like, but why don't we get a guarantee there? It's like, well, the promoter doesn't think that there's going to be enough people. And they're like, yeah, but we need a guarantee. And I'm like, so you don't believe that there's going to be enough people? Like, if you don't believe it, why should the promoter believe it? So a lot of times, um, I think it's all about being very straight with artists and with the man management about the expectation. And then you also have to be straight with the promoters, obviously. And of course, I like to um, be fair on, on the deal. And if you take a risk on one of my smaller artists, the next time around, I'm going to give you one of the bigger artists. But it has to, it's something that evolves. It's not something that, you know, I'm going to put in writing in an email and going to tell you it's just something that, naturally happens over time also because when you work well with each other you're just going to continue doing that even if someone offers you a lot more money like usually if that happens if a promoter comes and goes like oh yeah if you give me that artist I'll give you that as a guarantee then it's going to be like how can you afford offering me that as a guarantee when I know that the other person that I've been working with for five years on this artist cannot guarantee that 
Because if you can't back it up, like what are you going to do different that more people are coming? Because you need more people to come in order for this to be sustainable. And if that is not sustainable, then obviously I have to put it forward to my artists and say, we do have a bigger offer here, but look at this. It sounds too good to be true. It's not sustainable. So it probably is too good to be true. So I would not support that because sometimes what what just happens is that you have these big companies that offer you, they can offer you a, a big guarantee on something because they have another big act that kind of like evens that out for them, but they'll just push out the smaller promoters that everyone needs in the end of the day to kind of build their artists up and go there because the big company is probably not going to take a risk on my baby band. Coming from the city of Gothenburg perspective, how are you considering other promoters and other venues in the city when you're booking an enormous free event and offering pretty good guarantees, I imagine? That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you can dispel the myth. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are totally uh, tax funded, so we don't have any interest in making any profit at all. Uh, and that makes it very easy for us to be uh, diverse and uh, very, um, what can I say, intercultural in our bookings. So, um, uh, I mean, at my previous jobs, our only income was was the was the was to sell tickets. So uh, that obviously make the, the the makes the program more limited. So um, when it comes to bigger artists, I mean, we are only we are always, I mean, uh, competing with uh, much bigger venues with a lot of, of uh, much more bigger uh, budgets than uh, as Lisbeth, for example, the amusement park, and uh, I mean, we we. In nine cases out of ten, we always lose. So um, it's not that we as a city has an enormous budget. So I'm, I'm trying to, to, to make it as fair as possible for everyone involved always. So it's a bit tricky, to be honest. How do you sort of look back in a way on how you were doing things as a promoter? I'm just sort of curious because now there's a little bit of a public function to what you do. How do you sort of manage in one way the way that you would have looked at things as a promoter from a private perspective versus now having a public function to what you put out there? I mean, as I, as I said, uh, we are totally tax funded now and it's also our vision to, uh, to provide opportunities for young talents, for example. We didn't work like that before, so uh, some. So I mean, I'm actively looking for uh, for new talents all the time, and uh, that's that. M maybe I would say is the the biggest difference in in my two different roles I've had. I was always looking for uh, for acts that could sell tickets before. I'm not interested in that, that nowadays. So it gives me an opportunity to to discover new acts to uh, to be able to put them in a, a good environment and uh, that's something I really appreciate and uh, that's also the biggest difference I would say. Let's take a step and look now at the artist side working between the artist and the venue's expectations for you Merle. You were sort of talking about having artists that you would maybe not work with anymore based on what their expectations would be. Has this happened with a long time client? Uh, yes. I've, I've recently, just recently, like throughout this year, like post pandemic, I've dropped five bands just for different reasons. Some of them I'd worked with for three years. Some of them I'd worked with for seven years. Um, but the, the thing is also, you know, you, you have to, like I said earlier, if you're not realistic about things, then I am wasting my time. Um, if I, I can, you know, I can tell you, oh yeah, you're going to get a lot of money on the next tour and there's people coming, you know, there's going to be hundreds of people coming to your shows. It's going to be more than ever because everybody's hungry for live shows, but then the reality is going to hit and, you know, it doesn't help me or it doesn't help the band in any way that I told them a bunch of shit. Um, so I'm going to be realistic. And if they cannot live with that or if they can get with it, then there's no point in working with them. Then I'm wasting my time and they're wasting their time and, and I'm probably not the right person for them to work with. So it, it has it has happened. I think during the last two years, probably during the pandemic, it's become very clear, um, like everybody kind of showing like the true colors, you know, the people that you, you work with, you found out things about them. Like it, it's been a very unique situation. So everybody had different responses and everybody kind of developed different throughout the pandemic. Some people completely left the business. Some people figured out, oh, this actually is a lot more important for me than that. And I think for me, at least, 
I have realized that the relationship that I have with the artists and the relationship that I have with the promoters and also, I mean, we, big factors in, in touring is like bus companies, for example. Last year or like last festival season, a lot of tours in Europe were canceled because people wouldn't find any buses anymore. And if you have a good relationship with a bus company that goes, hey, you know, I'm about to run out of buses, just FYI, if you need a bus this year, you know, I'll hold that for you for another two weeks or something. That's That can save your tour, that could save your tour this year. And it's it's just for me, I have learned that the relationships that you've had for a long time and that you've treated well, they're going to be rewarding in the end nowadays because it, it's really about working together. None of the sectors of our industry, at least in the live industry, can survive without the other. So it's really about the people that you work with and f- how well you work with them. And for you, Matthias, how are you sort of building new relationships with promoters or with bands? Um, yeah, but I think that's maybe not something that changed because of, of the corona. That's just, um, I, I don't know how, how I normally build re- relationships with uh, partners. Just looking uh, at the long run, getting to know them, get to know how, how their venue or, or their company works, try to understand it uh, properly and, and to be able to work good together and build a trust over a, a long period of time. Because we, we have a few artists that sells well, that, that um, we can sort of um, attract new uh, venues with or new promoters. But when it comes to um, working uh, in the long run and working with all of our artists, we, um, we need to have more, uh, more a sustainable kind of relationship and, and take the ups and downs together. So some, some promoters uh, we may, maybe just work with uh, once or twice and, and look on the ticket sales and just do the, the normal show. Uh, and others we uh, we work very closely with and uh, uh, for for a longer run together. I mean, I still see this world as pretty limited. To be to be honest, uh, I mean, uh, when it comes to building up new relations, I mean, especially in Sweden, and there are few new invitations in my, from my perspective. Uh, however, I think festivals like this are very important, and uh, I mean, b- because they force you to get a wider perspective at the music business. I haven't seen Live Nation here. I'm not sure if they are here, but I don't think they are. Neither AEG Live, for example, and why aren't they here? It's not because we are irrelevant in any way, but I, don't, but I, but I think they think it's irrelevant to be here. I don't think they are interested in, 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 in to get a wider perspective. At the same time, we also heard earlier that Live Nation is looking at small spaces and even putting up venues in cities of the same exact capacity as an independent venue. So so is there a certain size maybe that is a no-go or are they looking at it but maybe waiting to see what happens with smaller promoters to see who comes through? Yeah, but I think in, in Sweden, Live Nation has not had that approach with owning venues in, to the same extent as uh, in, the, in the U.S., um, but it could be interesting now when, when we're reaching into some troubled times financially for everyone. Uh, if venues start to, um, to have a hard time, then maybe it's time for a bigger company to uh, start owning venues. If we have venues uh, disappearing in, in Sweden, uh, maybe um, Live Nation, for example, choose a, a different strategy to keep the system alive. In, in, I imagine in their point of view, they need the venues, and if the venues are not coping by themselves, then maybe they step in. But in the past, this has not been a, a, a plan for Live Nation, for example, in Sweden, because it's mostly independent venues all over. I didn't mean this earlier when I said as kind of like them stepping in or saving the system or anything, um, because I don't think that is their approach at all. Um, they're just looking at, and it's not just them, it's also other big uh, companies. They're just looking at where they can get the foot in the door to get more money. And... Obviously, I mean, you know it in the US, if you get to a Live Nation venue, they will dictate everything. They can dictate um, what the ticket price is. They can dictate that you have to pay a merchandise fee, which is the biggest ripoff to a band ever. And 
this is just something if that happens everywhere then they're just going to be able to i mean it's going to be a monopoly like they they you know, it sounds very doomy when i say this now but basically that's already a big a big thing in the us like where you can do you do a a, a live nation tour and then you just play all these venues and you'll have to play by their rules and if the artist does not then they will just not tour anymore and that will eventually kill off the organic growth of a scene or 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 any scene basically and I don't think that that would be a good thing. Like, I wouldn't look at it like, oh, Live Nation are stepping in to save these smaller venues. For me, that would be a a big like that would that would be a big warning sign. Or I mean, we're past the warning sign at that point. Like, if that happens, and in Germany is already a reality of like festivals popping up um, by Live Nation or by bigger companies that are then um, you know kind of encroaching on the on the territory of well-established independent festivals, and they're not doing that out of the goodness of their heart they're just thinking oh it's you know the market shares and i think that's eventually um going to put a lot of independent venues and promoters and agents out of business if that happens yeah but is it a risk for like independent venues to need to do those decisions as well like take merch money or, or stuff do you see that happening they that, are that, already doing that yeah but independent venues yes uh, yeah They're already doing that. And it's a, I mean, that's also one of the things. If you have a relationship with a promoter, you, you can go like, are you for real? Like, why are you, what are you charging me for here? You're, you know, you're providing a table. Okay, cool. I'll bring my own table. And then what? Yeah, but you know, we're providing you with the space. Like, yeah, but why are the people here? Like, if you get a cut of my merchandise and I'm going to get a cut of the bar. So that's the conversation that you can have. Try having that conversation with Live Nation in their venues. They're just going to be like, yeah, okay, then you don't play. And if they say, oh yeah, you don't play, then, you know, that probably means like your whole tour if there's no independent venues left. And uh, they'll also pay a fee to rent out a place too and try to dictate rules in that regard as well if they don't have a huge presence in that city. For example, in Chicago where I'm from, we have a lot of venues and we're fortunate to have a lot of independent venues. For a city of three million, two Live Nation owned venues in the city that are both well above north of 1500. And so it leaves a lot of space for small venues. But I know that they're also trying to get their claws in whether it's Ticketmaster offering tons of incentives for smaller venues to use their service or whether it's straight up renting a place and saying, I'll give you this absurd amount of money to be able to put this show on. There's a lot of challenges that I think promoters have to face when it comes to, on the one hand, managing the fiscal realities of the challenges that we've sort of laid out. And then on the other hand, the authenticity of the space that they're trying to cultivate. And then on the third hand, also trying to play a part in not allowing fees to become too inflated because at the same time they don't want people to get into the habit of thinking they can get that much if it's really only worth this many tickets because that could be another problem for promoters. Another thing that kind of came to mind was the role of sort of underplays that agents can offer for smaller venues to support them uh, instead of offering something into a Live Nation venue or a venue alike. Having multiple days in a smaller space to create that unique experience and then at the same time facilitate activity in the smaller spaces. Is that something that you consider in the calculus of tours? Yeah, sure. I mean, we don't have that reality in Europe yet with the Live Nation venues. But of course, if I have a long-standing relationship with a promoter um, and the venue is not big enough for the artist, but he has risked or he or she has risked their money on the artist for, I don't know, 10 years, helped me build them up and, you know, has has been... I don't know, has been a crucial part in building them in the area or in the region, then sure, saying, hey, we played two nights. I've done that with some of my artists where it's been like, okay, yeah, we do two nights in a row and then or three nights or whatever. It's it's also, it's cheap for the artist. It's an easy day for the crew. You know, you have one load in, one load out and you have three easy days, basically. As far as now getting into sort of the scope of bringing new bands into the fold of your agencies or in this case, taking on new talent to come to Jalti Bodig's Kulturkalas, what are some of the acts that are of interest today in terms of bringing them uh, to an event like Kulturkalas? I mean, uh, I, I always appreciate uh, discovering new local bands uh, mostly. Uh, so I would say uh, an occasion like this is brilliant for me to to go around and uh, discover new 
talents. But I mean, it's it's our it's our uh, vision to to uh, to um, to to discover new uh, local acts in mostly, I would say, uh, and to give them uh, a good public space to 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 uh, to make a show in. I think for for me that might be something that uh, is changing now with uh, with these uh, uh, new times that. I might not be looking after new talent as much as before because uh, we're a small company and we can uh, keep a small structure floating with not that many acts uh, and taking on new bands it takes a lot of time and focus and you don't earn that much money in the beginning. So it, it might be that we sign less smaller bands in the future I think until we can see we have the the, the power and energy and money to 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 focus on that again so that might actually be a sad change uh, from from the uh, from this to that extent as well are you looking for groups that are at other agencies currently or is there a lot of movement that you're seeing in talent yeah yeah well bands move companies all the time um, and I think, luckily for us, we reached uh, a point in, in the company history where um, we uh, actually have the opportunity to pick bands, take on bands from other companies. Uh, in, the, in the beginning, that was super hard to get someone to, to change to headstomp. But now we're in, in, in more of a good position and, and people are actually contacting us to, um, to change. And, and that's maybe also a reason for us not signing as much new artists as well, that we, um, we have the opportunity sometimes to work with artists that are already on a mid-size level. But, but there's, there's movement, but I don't see it. Maybe some bands and artists took the opportunity uh, after Corona to do like a... Re it's easier to leave when you're not in the middle of a tour, or you know, it's like get a new start. But um, there's there's always been movements um, between companies and, and bands, so I don't think that's uh, a difference. I see at least for you, Merle. Are you looking at new talent actively? I have been actively looking at new talent, and I have signed new talent very recently, and I am now at capacity. So um, I I actually didn't want to take on any more bands. Um, just a few months ago, decided that for myself, and then. Um, a band contacted me that were just it was just a, a brilliant band and they had everything in order so I just couldn't say no basically but throughout COVID I think all of the all of the newcomer bands that I work with now have in some way um, I've only been working with them since COVID started basically or shortly before but at this point I wouldn't be looking at it but I also would be nowadays very suspicious like I would not approach I would not poach bands from another agency and I would also be very suspicious about bands approaching me now coming from another agency for me it would be very important for to know why are you leaving because if they're leaving because they cannot handle the reality of touring i cannot do anything different like you know in the end of the day we are all doing the same thing and if someone if you're unhappy with um how much you're being guaranteed on a tour i can't change that i i probably i might I might be able to on the short notice because I work with different partners who maybe believe that the band is worth more than they are actually worth. But if if one agency say your reality is you sell 300 tickets, then that's the reality. And I'm not going to go out and, and bullshit my promoters into, yeah, they're selling 500 safe um, because that's not sustainable for me either. And also if you're leaving your agency because you have unrealistic expectations or because, you know, something like that, then chances are you're going to leave me for that same reason. And I'm not looking at short-term relationships. I'm looking to build my artists on a long-term. What are we sort of learning about working with managers and working with bands as as a result of the pandemic, are there any dynamics that are changing of what we're expecting or what is sort of uh, different and what are we taking away? One huge difference uh, is for sure the artist fees, I would say. They have increased a lot uh, in every perspective. And I guess that's it's, an, it's a natural reason for that. But I also, from my perspective, I think a lot of the 
agents are using the pandemic as an excuse as well uh, to increase the artist fees. Um, of course, uh, a lot of things have increased when it comes to, to, to staff costs, for example, technicians, uh, venue rents, etc., etc., etc. But I mean, I have a golden uh, example. Uh, I was speaking to an agent, I'm not going to tell his name, uh, for uh, two years ago uh, and I was about to buy this artist to the city festival and I uh, ma- made an offer for 150,000 and uh, that's quite it was quite cheap at that moment it was and uh, we got offered the artist uh, but then the uh, festival got cancelled for the reason you all know and then we were discussing the same artist for next year's festival and suddenly the artist fee was 750,000 I mean not a chance that uh, all costs has increased that much and for me that was just to use the pandemic and the inflation as an excuse uh, and to be able to to make uh, more money, of course, as well. And I think when agents try to sell artists to a city festival like ours, they also know that we are a city festival, and they try to to increase the costs very much all the time. So you need to be uh, very uh, hard and very on point when it comes to negotiations. So in that case, how did you push back? I said, not a chance. You'll get 250, max 300 for the artists. As an agent, I would like to reply to this. I mean, everybody does this nowadays. Like, obviously, the, the agents do that, but it's also the promoters also do that. They go, oh, my costs have increased. Like, yeah, everybody's has. Yeah. You know, so it's not, it's not just that one like one factor of the agency does of the of the industry does that it's everyone you know it's and using the pandemic like what i have also noticed is that promoters that i have i don't have such a good relationship with as with some of them there's very nonchalant about cancelling like we had a, a festival in in the uk confirmed for one of my acts and this was i believe this was in june this year they we had rescheduled it since i think it was originally booked for 2020 for 2020 and then it was 21 and then it was 22 and then they cancelled and they were like yeah it's because of the pandemic and i'm like what hang on uh, the UK has been basically fully functioning for like for longer than mainland Europe. How are you canceling this because of the pandemic? Yeah, the people are not buying tickets because of the pandemic. We're like, okay, no, I'm sorry, but that's really BS. Like, it's not because of the pandemic. You cannot use that as a reason. If you use the pandemic as a reason there, you can use it as anything. It's just because you have taken a risk and things have changed and now you're not selling tickets as expected. That is not my fault. You have rebooked the artist every single year so you cannot just tell me like oh yeah well you know it's higher power it's not nothing i can do about it so your flight tickets and all the costs that's with you it's like no you choose to cancel because ticket sales are beyond expectation not because of the pandemic so i think every like every aspect or like every sector in the in the industry is using inflation higher you know higher costs everything it's it's not just one of them it's everyone it goes both ways it sure does Yeah. yeah when you're pushing back on the venue in this case so let's look at it the other way are you reminding them of the expectations of that they've continued to be a rebook and rebook? Or is it a matter of finding a different partner for the show if it falls through? Uh, sure, in the end, I guess it will come to that. Fortunately, I, uh, I don't recall this having it, it having come to that in any case so far. Um, but I think the reality is to like just be bluntly honest play with very open cards and go yeah i know i understand your costs have increased your local crew costs more my touring crew costs more also my nightliner costs more because gasoline costs more all the, all this adds up and it's just a matter of finding the the middle ground for everyone and making the other person understand yeah my costs have increased too and we need to find a way for both of us to continue because if i don't continue like obviously not me personally but if if you do this with everyone then you know there's not going to be any artists to book into your venue and also right now the the tours most of the tours that i have coming up right now are rescheduled ones so it's a little tricky because the ticket price is is relatively low for what we would be asking now because also the people are used to paying more for tickets now but these have been booked in like 2019 so and we cannot just increase the prices all of a sudden but it's it's a matter of then going okay we we all have this problem like we're we have booked the show but i also know that for example when you work directly 
with the venue. Like, I know that you can charge more for beer than you could have three years ago. Or, you know, it's, it's all of this or whatever, like your wardrobe or I don't know, it's small things. Um, but you just have to find a way how everybody can make it, basically. I think we're close to wrapping up here. But one of the things that I'm sort of taking away here is that there's a level of honesty and transparency that needs to happen between all of the partners in the line, whether it's the agent being honest with the booker, the booker being honest in kind, and then on the other side, whether the representation being honest with the artist about expectations. One last thing I kind of wanted to have as a takeaway here is what are some sort of new ways that you're finding to work with promoters because ultimately as we mentioned earlier we all have to work together in some way to survive and I think all of us have an interest in especially working with small promoters because ultimately it's those small spaces that allow groups to emerge and to play in larger spaces we can kind of go around the ring here for you Daniel what are some of the sort of like ways that we can all work together a little bit better Good question, but I think occasions like this are very, very good. We meet each other, uh, perhaps over a beer or two, uh, and we get the chance to sit along and uh, discuss with each other. And I think that's what we need to do. It's uh, very uh, hierarchy. We don't get the chance to sit along with each other as often as we should do. And uh, we need to, to, as you say, be uh, very transparent uh, with our uh, with our different costs as well. That's uh, that's quite often something you don't talk about. And and in in a time like this, I think we should do more often. Yeah, to get a more deeper understanding. Exactly. Of how, how things work. Deeper understanding for each other's situations. Yeah. I wish I had something good to say right now about uh, new opportunities or new ways to work in the future. But it, in a way, it, it's it's simple because you put a band on stage and you sell tickets. It's not that much more to it. So, but I guess there should be uh, new ideas. But I don't know. I'm, I really would like that sort of simple setup to just work instead of offering free T-shirts if you buy a ticket early. Or, you know, I, I hate those kind of things. Uh, it should be just, I love this band. I'm buying a ticket and going to show but maybe there are more stuff like that we need to do i don't know what do you say i'm completely the opposite i really love these options maybe not with a free t-shirt but i think nowadays especially on promotion the band themselves has become so much more important than any any other like media outlet or anything if you if the band does well on social media if they know how to reach their audience um it's it's so much more important than having a, a pro, like a promo agency that does it for the band because nowadays the fans are so much more connected to their band. So I think if the band is willing to do, like, I don't know, the first 500 people get to see the sound check or the first 500 tickets, uh, ticket buyers get to see the sound check or something like that, I think it's it, that's something to move forward in to really um, exploit, which sounds really negative, but just to kind of dive into what this specific band can offer on a unique side for the fans because everybody nowadays wants a unique experience and they want to have you know the story to tell they want to have the the picture or the reel to post on social media so i think that's really something that you need to go go into is the the uniqueness of the artist that you have and what can they offer that others can't and then obviously also include the promoter in some way because if I sell tickets for a meet and greet in the afternoon, then the promoter has to provide security. They have to, you know, there's possibly more energy costs because you have lighting or whatever. Um, and you cannot just say like, oh yeah, I'm selling tickets for the show through you, but the meet and greet, that's kind of mine, you know? So I, I think there's, um, there are new ways to promote the artists and new ways to explore how the artist can promote themselves and then also bring that back to your promoter to um, make sure that that you have um, that everybody's in the same boat and not in a negative way but you know everybody always says like oh yeah we're all in the same boat but then goes yeah okay we're all in the same boat like we're you know we're going forward together Merle, Daniel, Matthias thank you very much for this lovely conversation thank you thank you